Hello, hello, everyone around the world. How you doing? Welcome to another great episode of Diary of a Mad Black Man. I have a very special guest today. Her name is Thea. She is a business owner. She is a mom. She's a first-generation American, and she's an amazing person I've connected with. I'm so happy to have her on the podcast, um, and so we're going to jump right in. So, Thea, how are you doing today? I'm great. How are you? I'm fantastic. Um, I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to talk with me about international blackness and the series I'm doing and learning more about you. Awesome. So um, for the people listening, go ahead and um, tell the people who you are and what you do. Sure. So my name is Thea Charles. I live in Massachusetts. I am a certified life coach and I've come that way it's like a career change. I'd started out, um, I went to school for biology. My whole plan was to go to medical school like most biology majors. And I kind of shifted a bit and I went into a job where I worked in an organ transplant lab. So I used to do organ workups. And then eventually um, by the end of that career, I was like um, a QC manager and running that laboratory. And it was, it was really, it was an awesome experience. It's something that I would never take back, you know, it was a lot of uh, changing in technologies and working with people who are coming right out of school and helping them kind of figure out what their path was in the medical field. And while I was doing that, I had two kids, um, two boys, they are awesome. And during that time, while, you know, I was doing really well, we felt like we could use a little extra. So I opened up a boutique, which was kind of like my creative outlet and a way to pay for daycare. So <laughs> it's like that was like the real reason why we started like, oh, you know, we'll have some extra money for daycare and then we can go on vacations and go to Disney. Like that was my plan. But it, it turned out into something that one, I really enjoyed it. Like I said, it was a creative outlet. It was, you know, a little different from the science driven life that I had. So that was really cool. I love clothes. And I also realized that as I build my, built my customer base, that people weren't really coming to me for clothing. They were coming to find their confidence in themselves. So there's a lot of talking or, you know, if someone would come out of a dressing room and say, what do you think? You know, I'd like to bounce the question back. How do you feel? You know, how do you want people to see you? So between the clothing business and, um, and working with people in the laboratory and different regulatory agencies I used to work with, I realized that the thing that was like the connector through all of that was kind of the coaching part. It was hearing what people are saying and what they're not saying and being able to, um, you know, listen, like actively listen, you know, like you can see how someone's feeling or, um, you know, use someone's words back so that they can explain something more to you. And I realized that I really enjoyed that. And I wasn't quite sure what it was until I hired my own coach. You know, I hired a coach for my business because I had decided to leave the laboratory once my kids went to school. Um, just the commute was too much. And at that point, I was working two full-time jobs. So I just did the clothing boutique and I hired a coach to just help myself to, uh, to um, organize my thoughts. And as I was working with her, I realized that's what I want to do. So that's kind of how it came to where I am right now. Nice. Very good. I, I love the idea of coaching. That's something that I'm doing with podcasting, um, mm -hmm. creative development. I um, haven't quite got the exact term down just yet, but by Monday, which is when I plan to launch officially the services and prices and things like that, I'll have it hashed out um, because I have a couple of names that I'm kind of just 
rattling in my mind, just trying to let's see which one I want to let stick mm-hmm. and which I'm going to run with. Um, and I really like how you explained, you know, how somebody is feeling. I think a lot of times in just the society we live, it's all about concrete things like what are you doing? What 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 does the dress actually look like? How does it make your body feel? Um, but to bring it back to how do you feel and how do you want to kind of show up in different spaces is really powerful. I think that people are often overlooking that, this yeah. kind of self-satisfied um or self-satisfaction, we kind of mm-hmm. look to satisfy people outside of us versus just saying, you know, I'm satisfied within myself. I feel confident in what I have on and who I am and love love it or hate it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And definitely that confidence is what I think draws people to you. Like often someone will say to me, oh, I saw so-and-so wearing this dress and it looks so good. And it's like, it's not the dress. She feels good. And you're mm-hmm. like being attracted to that feeling that she's giving out rather mm-hmm. than it's really the clothing. Like you could put on the same thing and be like, yeah. But when you put on that thing that you're like, I picked this out. It's my favorite color. You're like, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so tell us a little bit, um, you're a first generation American mm-hmm. and um, tell us a little bit about, about your family history and where, where your family's from. Sure, sure. So like you said, I'm a first generation American. Uh, my family is from Barbados. Both my parents were born there um, and they they met in the United States. Mm-hmm. So my mother came here when she was like about 10 years old to Cambridge, Massachusetts. And my dad came like in his 20s or early 20s and um, they met and had us. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a lot of family that's still in Barbados. Like um, after... Uh, my grandparents retired, they moved back, and then eventually my aunt went back, and my uncle, and a lot of my dad's family's there. So in my opinion, like, my closest family lives in Barbados, and that's mm. just, like, it feels like second home for me when we visit, you know, I'm just hanging out at grandma's house. I know where to go to the grocery store. You know, like, it just yeah. feels like my yeah. second home. Yeah, that's awesome. So, um, what, so when you go back to Barbados, and you're doing things like just going to the grocery store and just hanging out at grandma's house. What is the difference or is there a difference between being in Barbados and doing those same things here in America? Hmm. You know, if you ask me in the moment, I'd say there's no difference, you know, Mm -hmm. like I'm just going to the store. But when I really reflect on it, I realized that it was a really great experience to grow up in two different places, kind of, you know, mm-hmm. um, to look around in a society and everybody looks like you. It's pretty like the world has no limits, you know, like mm-hmm. if you see the person like in every rank of society and everyone looks like you, the sky's the limit. And the thing that, you know, I've thought of that before, like when I went off to college and, you know, would hear other people's experiences and, just the way other people think. And I was like, oh, that that probably had something to do with it. But once I brought my kids, that's when I really saw it, you know? Mm. Like, the boys will just word vomit anything that comes into their mind. Mm-hmm. And um, they had gone, I had them go with my parents and we were meeting up with them after. And my mother told me how they were looking out the car window and they said, Granny, everybody looks like us here. You know, like they notice immediately. Yeah. And I just think that that's just, 
you know, I don't think it's something that you think about in the moment, but when you reflect back, you realize that it did have a big impact in your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very powerful. Um, it reminds me of an experience I had when I was overseas and I studied abroad. Mm-hmm. And I joined the Black Student Union um, at the university I was studying at. And listening to the conversations and being a part of their forums, I specifically remember a time when I asked a question and I don't even remember the exact question I said or the exact response, but what I remember is that the question that I presented was very much in a black American question. And so I vividly remember the young lady saying something back to me along the lines of black man, your country is not teaching you about who you really are or the history of the world and how the world really works. And I would encourage you to pursue that and pursue what that means to really understand what the melanin in your skin is and what it means for you and what it means not just to be an American, but to be a global citizen. So this idea of like global citizenship has always kind of, I've always kind of identified with it. And so it's very powerful to hear you say, you know, when you see people in positions of society that look like you, it frees your mind to think that there are no limits. And so growing up in America for myself, it was always, I always felt very limited, you know, like, and I felt like I had to go to college. I felt like I had to get a good job. I had to buy a house by 30 and be married with kids and kind of follow the traditional American dream. And so one of the main reasons why we're doing this episode and I'm running this series is to kind of open my own mind to different people's experiences of other black people who are living here in America, as well as to be able to celebrate the diversity of who we are and where we come from. And like you said, you know, your family's from Barbados and I'm, I've never been to Barbados. Don't know. I mean, I, I think, I mean, isn't Rihanna from Barbados? Yes, she is. <laughs> yeah, so like, <laughs> so, so yes, yeah, I can remember like the little documentary and stuff she did. And it's just like mm-hmm. to see another place where people are happy, where people are able, like yourself, just to freely go to the store and it's not a big deal. And they're not living under the like oppressive and, and racial society and barriers that I oftentimes feel every single day. So mm-hmm. what has it, um, and I know you said you grew up in, in a small town mm-hmm. um, that was here in America, right? Yep, I was here in America. What, what was that like? Uh, the opposite of Barbados. <laughs> <laughs> I grew up um, in a very tiny town in Massachusetts. It has one traffic light, like a farm town. And mm-hmm. um, like, my elementary school class was 48 people and I graduated in a regional school with 97 of us. So, you know, wow. It's small. Um, and I was probably me, my brother and my sister were like the only black students in the district. Like that's it. Um, Mm. so I guess the, I'm sorry. I'm like, I I just think I forgot what exactly what the question was. describe, Describe your childhood growing up in a small town. Okay. So like I said, a small town, single traffic, traffic light, um, not many kids. And we were the only black students. Um, and I think, you know, when I think back, I didn't have a bad childhood at all. Like it wasn't a bad childhood, but you become aware 
of your of how you're different mm. you know like if you asked me back then if i felt different i probably wouldn't have said that i did but there are things that i like you know by the time i hit second grade i realized i am not like these other children and the other kids let me know that i was not like them you know like that was like a shock and i um then you kind of hold on to that and you realize that maybe not everything that everyone else can do that you can do too you know that you mm. have to be a little bit more on your game you know yeah. like i remember i was a straight a student but i wonder like what i've been a straight a student if i wasn't there you know i felt mm. like i had to work harder to mm. be the same so maybe that might have brought up like a little bit of like a perfectionist type complex where um you really try really hard all the time um and also that also comes with being a first generation american you know like sometimes you have more of like that tiger mom behind you like do good so yeah. um so those two things i felt like that probably put a little more of academic pressure on me and some of that i don't think it was all from my parents i think it's from myself as well mm -hmm. um and then some ways you're a little bit more reserved at least for me i would say the three of us all had like a different experience i was someone who is a quiet person i paid attention a lot and did my work. My brother, on the other hand, was someone who became the popular kid, you know, and my sister kind of like a mix, like she had friendships were important to her and like, she's just a little bit more emotional than the rest of us. I don't know. We just have different personalities, mm -hmm. but, <laughs> but um, yeah. yeah, you know, you also, you're also very much aware of stereotypes. Mm and whether or not you want to fall into them or not, you know, and then what that means to be the black student. Like, I think I'm a, you know, outside of like saying that I was someone that was very studious, I'm also kind of rebellious. So I refuse to play sports. Like, I don't have time for that. You know, I'm not going to be the stereotype. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I think it, it just affects I think you you learn a lot about yourself and then you also realize later on like you have especially like right now with things that are everything that's going on in the world uh, like there are social justice things that are happening and then you look at your facebook feed mm. with people that you've grown up with or you know maybe you post something and now you're like you're watching like the facebook debate happen mm. and it's really like i knew this is where some people stood, but now you can like see it as an adult and realize that like, and even like remember conversations that happened when you were younger or things that people said like, oh, no offense before I tell this terrible joke and realize that mm -hmm. it wasn't so much, that it's kind of like you were tolerated, you know? Mm -hmm. Like it's not that everyone was like, I would say, you know, the school wasn't racist. It was fine. But no, they were okay for me. And I don't know that if there was a Black population in town, that it would have been okay for everybody. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, you realize that you were okay because you're different. And that's only because someone got to know you. But their perception of the rest of the world that looks like you is very different. And, you know... Like if you see certain people post certain things, like even someone's parent, you're just like, "Hey, I really loved you. I didn't know you felt that way." Oh my god! <laughs> so it can be 
so so that can be you know kind of like a a, a real point of reflection yeah like wow you said some powerful things um one of the things that that you said that resonated with me was like you felt this need to work harder than your peers. You know, I can remember I'm starting college and one of my mentors was like, you're going to have to work twice as hard as these white kids mm-hmm. because you're black. Yeah. Period. You know what I'm saying? And I grew up in, in a space where we never really stayed in the same place. We were always moving, always moving around. So I was always the new kid. And so it always gave me the opportunity to kind of reinvent myself in a way. I picked up on that very early in life Mm -hmm. Um, because when I moved to one place, I would, you know, dress a certain way. Then I remember when I moved to to Springfield, you know, I had my grandmother braid my hair and I had braids, something I didn't do back home, you know, single plaits and stuff like that. And the attention that I got like that. So this idea of, yes, I know I need to be work harder than my peers, but I also have the opportunity to consistently reinvent and evolve myself. I don't have to stay the same. I don't have to fit this stereotype, even though at one point in time I carried myself matching that stereotype, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, something else you said too, which was like, it, it makes me think of, so basically what you said was, you didn't feel that it was racist because everybody was okay with you and they kind of accepted you for who you are. And it kind of makes me think of this idea of the acceptable black person or like when people have told me personally, like, Oh, you're cool. You're not like the other black people that I know yeah. or, you know, or, or you're cool. You don't, you don't talk black. And it's like, mm-hmm. what, what is what, that? What, what is that? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. As, as a young adult and, you know, we kind of hear those things and, take them in but we don't really realize what it is until we get much older like now some of the things that are that has actually happened on my timeline on facebook specifically is i used to live with a white family and living with them was during a very difficult time for me um i was kind of disowned from my family uh that's a whole nother podcast but um my sister and actually voted for Trump. And I remember when he first was elected and we were going through the Facebook debate. Yeah. Like I was just so I was like, how can you of all people whose family embraced me and some other kids that were black and allowed us to live in your home feel that the rhetoric in this person, like how can you support him? And long story short, we she eventually unfriended me on Facebook. We haven't spoken in years and even me and the family haven't really I mean, well, mom, shout out to mom, uh, Mama P. We still keep in contact, but just as we, as I've grown up, I've realized how racism has really influenced them and specifically her. And it's not that she carries it in a way that's intentional or overt, yeah. but it's very subtle. It's yeah. like, you know, she said, I think she said something along the lines of, well, I want a president who's going to do things differently. And I'm like, but. I think people fail to realize how powerful words are. Mm-hmm. And you may say something like, I, I remember specifically when he said, you know, when they start looting, we start shooting, mm-hmm. you know, to the average mind that might be, Oh, you know, it's protests going on right now. People are looting yeah. and things like that. But 
a lot of people don't realize that that was one of the slogans that a white supremacist said yeah. back in the day. You know what I'm saying? And so it's yeah. like the times we're living in are really no different than the 60s. In fact, I think it's worse, you know, because it's a global movement. Yeah. You know, it's a global movement of equality that's happening right now. And again, I think here in America, the media and everything is portraying it to be just something that's isolated. You know, it's only happening here. This is happening all over the world. Right. So um, what do you think? How do you think people like like that, you know, or just your idea of people in Barbados? You know, how are they like how like do you think their perception of what's happening here and around the world is different? Because that's something I'm learning that is is very apparent, especially when I um, have spoken to people who um, are from like Nigeria and different places in in Africa. So so what do you think um, kind of the Barbados perspective would be? Well, well of course, I can't speak for everyone, Facts. but um I would think that there seems to be just based on conversations I've had with people and then like reading the paper that there seems to be, you know, like here, there's like a, maybe a division, like some people like there, they are, I think they were protesting one of um, a statue that was up because Barbados used to be um, under English rule, rule. Um, some statue that they were like, why do we have this in our, in our, government you know that that kind of thing mm -hmm. where people were protesting and black lives matter uh, movements were happening but on the other hand i think that it, it sometimes it can be kind of difficult to picture what life is like for black people in america when you live in a society that's completely different from america like mm -hmm. they you know like you don't i had a friend um a, a Bajan friend and she had gone to college in England. And only once she went to college did she really realize I'm black and what that means. Like she, she didn't have to think about it because she was just in a society with everyone that looks like her. You know, everyone has the same opportunities. You know, you try, you don't try, you whatever. But so with that type of lens, I think it's really difficult to put yourself in the position of like, well, why can't everyone in America, why can't black people in America just like make their own town or like, you know, like, why can't you just do whatever? Like, it, I think it's just hard to, to, to think that way when you've not experienced it. So I don't really know like what the uh, overall Bajan perspective mm -hmm. is, but just from the different pieces that, you know, like maybe family conversations and reading in the paper, I just think that for some who, especially those who, like grew up and live on the island mm -hmm. wouldn't quite understand unless you've lived here. Mm. It's very powerful. I, I really love that you shared that. And thank you for sharing. Um, Cause I know like when we have conversations about what's happening and race and what it means to be black, I, I stand firm on, on the fact that one conversation isn't enough. You know, I asked you a question about the people in Barbados, knowing that there's so many different perspectives and experiences, but that's the thing that I think is, is is the one of the most powerful things you just said, which is that the experience is different. You know, if you grow up in a society where everybody looks like you, everybody speaks, you know, similar language with a similar dialect and, you know, tone to it, you don't really see yourself as different versus here in America. You know, I can remember immediately going to school and seeing, you know, white kids, black kids, Asian kids. And I'm like, oh, okay, 
I'm different. You know what I'm saying? And even amongst my peers, you know, of, of black people, um, I was, again, labeled the guy that was acting white or spoke white. And, you know, when I started going to college, I became the college boy and this kind of thing. So it's always, you know, pushed me, I guess, just living and just trying to survive and do successful things. I've always been pushed into separate categories of who I am. And now I'm in a space where it's like nothing outside of me can really define me except for me. You know, I know the world is crazy and we're kind of in chaos right now, global pandemic and things like that. But I've really been sitting back and being like, I need my therapist, one. <laughs> I love that. But at the same time, it's like we have unprecedented opportunities right now Yeah, to really create various pathways for not just like making business or anything like that, but for gaining knowledge of self. Um, it is not even like I'm going to, well, I will do like a family history thing, but when you learn more about the world, it helps you to better understand my, yourself for me. You know, this conversation already has changed me to understand the perspective of, you know, when people grow up in a different society, their worldview is different. You know, a lot of times, um, many people don't travel. You know, most people yeah. don't travel more than 15 to 30 miles from their home. Mm -hmm. Most people never leave. The majority of people never leave the same state that they grew up in, mm -hmm. especially if they have family there. So it's also very powerful to hear how, you know, you have children now and you take your children back and forth to Barbados and understanding what that's going to mean for them as they grow up and become adults to have that perceptive, that perception it is very powerful. And I think that we're living in an era where the gen, I mean, people talk about millennials, but the generation coming up after us, mm -hmm. I'm just trying to get ready so I could be like, hey, kid, look, yeah. very <laughs> tough group, a very tough group of people. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, just to like kind of reflect on what you said, just, you know, I feel very privileged that I'm able to take my kids to travel and mm -hmm. see different things. And that's something that's really important to the both of us is that they get to experience different places. And, mm -hmm. you know, when we're able to travel to other states or to like go to Canada, like we just want them to see. And I felt like that was really important in my life to having a more of a global view of things mm -hmm. to have a little bit more empathy. And, and then something else that you had mentioned you know, being okay with yourself. I feel like, you know, I too was put into lots of different boxes. Mm. You didn't fit in this group, but you're in this group. You sound like this group, you know, like moved mm. around a lot. And, mm. and I think that's just, I've been really, I've been thinking about this a lot, but it feels like a little bit of a construct of society in general. Like, you know, like when a person is building a computer, you have to give it specific rules. It's like, zeros or ones like that's it you know the mm -hmm. computer only has like left or right but in nature there's just like a broad range of everything like you know mm -hmm. all the colors of the rainbow but it's really just like a gradient like all the way through so i don't mm -hmm. really think that any of us is just one thing we're like a mix you know there's not one shade mm -hmm. of blue there's many shades of blue so you know i think that's just kind of like how i think of things like okay maybe i do fall into these groups but what makes me up doesn't make up anybody else. It's my own, mm. my own picture. 
I love that. Wow. Many shades of blue. I'm, I wrote down that time. Stamp to go back. <laughs> but uh, it's very powerful. You know, it's kind of like when I think about what it means just to be black. And um, for a long time, it was difficult. It was like, wow, you know, we came from slavery and, you know, oppression and Jim Crow and, you know, police brutality. And it's just like, that's why I said, shout out to my therapist, because it's a lot to take in. Yet the beauty of what's happening now in my life and um, from having conversations like this is I'm learning to settle more on like, this is kind of the nature of the world. Mm-hmm. When you really think about world history, I mean, not just a couple hundred years, but thousands and centuries, you know, these kind of unrest and protests and fighting against the power. There's always been a fight for something. And it's like. I'm in a lane where I'm in a lane by myself, more competition with myself. I'm a student of self. And if my, my new slogan is, you know, I'm in my own lane. I can't win. I can't lose. I'm just on cruise control, enjoying the view. Yeah, you know, because to be a lifelong learner is something that I dedicated, you know, and I committed to very early. Um, especially in my colleges, you know, I'm going to be learning forever, going to be reading forever, you know, because that's ultimately what life is. And it's so powerful to to now have conversations like this and to hear people now. I think being more open and transparent with their experiences. Mm-hmm. Because for so long, we would kind of sweep things under the rug or or we're not going to talk about that. We're not going to do this. Or, you know, we we would kind of like how you said the computer, we're either going to move right or we're going to move left. No in between. But now we're for me personally, you know, it's like this new era of um, openness, of vulnerability, of being honest and and sharing these experiences with people who look like me and people who don't look like me. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I'm processing right now is how do I like for example with my company the black podcast club although it's for black people and black creatives it's not necessarily exclusive to anybody else you know just because I'm pro-black doesn't mean I'm anti anything right you know what I'm saying or anti any people because I am anti-racist and white supremacy but again that's a whole nother whole nother podcast so I want to kind of transition just a little bit to talk about um, you being a mom mm-hmm. and, you know, raising two black boys and, and and what that's been like for you over the past couple months specifically. Uh, well, I wouldn't say it's not, it's not easy. It's not always easy. Mm-hmm. And I only say that because, you know, like if you get a call from daycare or a teacher or whatever, and they're saying, oh, your son did this or your son needs help with this I always have to like think a little more like underneath the surface like is this really is this him or is this an implicit bias you know Mm -hmm. like you have to kind of think you you know you know that as a parent you're their ultimate advocate but at the same time you don't want to be the person that's like my kid will never be bad you know because that's just not real you know kids Mm -hmm. will get into things but you just really have to pay attention and and then and it's not so much that the other person's doing it on purpose. And that's the other thing that you have to remember mm-hmm. that when these people, when people have these biases that they don't necessarily know they have a bias, they don't know that, you know, and they stick out more that when a whole bunch of kids are acting up, the first one they're going to see is Owen, you know, mm-hmm. like you, you, 
realize that that's also part of it. And then also, you know, it can be kind of difficult explaining to them because you don't want to put it in a way that school's against me. You don't want your kids to not like school. But to explain that beyond listening to the teacher, obviously you have to listen to your teacher and do expected behavior at school. But you also have to remember that sometimes they're going to call on you and it's not going to feel fair. And how you react to that is what's important. Mm. Like, you know, sometimes when the reaction is, ah, but I wasn't doing it, he was doing it too. You get yourself in more trouble. So it's like really about picking your battles and being and making sure that you have an open relationship with your kids that they can tell you, like, you know, to make it clear to them that I am there to fight the real battles. Me and dad are here for that. It's not for you as a child to do. It's just, mm. yeah. And right now, my kids are are pretty in tune with what's happening. Um, they both have different personalities. So one, the oldest one is more right now. He's just into his friends. Like he just wants to play video games with his friends, and that's that's it. So <laughs> he, he's like, yeah, things are happening. He'll ask questions and see things. But he's like, uh, can I go play Fortnite now? And that's like, that's his life. The other one is a little bit more of a thinker. And will come in and be like, what's that all about? And then give his ideas and we can have more of a conversation about what is it that he just saw on TV and what he thinks. So I think for me, for like parenting in general, I mean, nobody knows how to do it. You're, you're winging it. And the yeah. beauty of your own family is that they're your family. So, yeah. you know, I had a friend ask me, when I have kids, what are they going to be like? I'm like, probably a lot like you because they're going to be growing up with you. So yeah. the way you talk and the way you communicate with them is how, you know, it can be replicated. So with us, we just try to have like really open place where we can talk about just about anything. And I've never been like a, baby talk type of mom I've been like hey, mm. what's up so I feel like maybe we're unique in that way that that they're they're pretty open to talking oh, that's very powerful that's you said a lot again thank you I appreciate that you know one of the things that really stood out to me was you it's not necessarily about what happens to your sons or what happens to them is how they respond you know, and oftentimes your response can be can add more trouble to the situation or to yourself. And you didn't really do anything in the first place. Right. You know, um, for me, it kind of it really resonates with where I am with seeing everything over the past couple months. I at one point I was at going to protests here in Atlanta, um, making a bunch of posts on social media, you know, say their names and using the hashtags and stuff like that. And then I really stepped back after things really got a little hectic here in in, in Atlanta. And it, it was Killer Mike who got onto the TV and from his speech and what he was saying was so powerful. And the thing he said, he said, we have to plot and we have to plan on what we're going to mm -hmm. do next. How are you going to take care of your families? How are you going to survive? What businesses are you going to create right now? Like, yes, you know, these institutions, police brutality is wrong and all of that kind of stuff. But what are we going to actually get out here and do? 
we could protest and, and and I agree, you know, protesting, everything has its place, but what are we doing? How are we actually going to respond to this? And, and for me, it was sit back and really be strategic and, and take care of myself first. You know, yeah. growing up, I think it's, it, it was kind of, at one point I thought it was selfish to put myself first and put my needs first and take care of myself first, but it's like, no, Blake comes first. And Blake is going to do what he has to do for him first. And then I can position myself to maybe help other people, you know, like mm-hmm. famous Oprah quote, I always say, until my cup runneth over, yeah. you can't drink from my cup because yeah. I'm not full. But the excess and, you know, whether that's excess, you know, an emotional ability or, or mental space to help and support somebody or, you know, financially in abundance, you know, until myself is together, you can't really do it for anybody else. And that's why I think it's very powerful that, that you're kind of instilling that um, or something similar like that in your boys, which is how you respond. Yeah. And it, it's also important to let them know that even teachers can get it wrong. We're all human and we all make mistakes. That's something we talk about a lot in like, you know, it could be for math or playing that video game is that learning comes from making mistakes like you're not going to if something comes easy to you and it's just like two plus two is four what did you learn anything if you already knew it like Mm -hmm. it has to be something difficult we talk about you know you're going to turn on those synapses by when you make that mistake and have to like go back and like figure it out and that doesn't just happen for kids that happens for adults so Mm -hmm. sometimes we make mistakes or we'll go about something one way and be like hey maybe i'm gonna like change that up and reassess and that's okay, you know, and to recognize that we're all, we're all trying that. And when I think about that, like for myself, like, you know, way back when in the eighties, I was watching my parents grow up, you know, mm-hmm. they were young too, at one point. And we just don't see it. I just think your perspective as a child, you don't necessarily see things, the whole picture mm-hmm. until you grow up and you're like, oh, yeah. That's why they're that's why they're different as grandparents. They already made that mistake yeah, telling me to eat yeah. those <laughs> vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You know? So. That's so that's so true. Even myself, like like I told you right before we started, you know, gallon gang. I drink I drink mm-hmm. a gallon of water, you know, every one or two days. And even seeing like my own family members, you know, I have a little cousin that's now fifteen and I'm 30 and you know i'm the same age difference between me and my uncle who's now 45 and it's like 40 so it's like you know i called him the other day and he was like you know i'm old now i was like you only a full bit i'm like i've never looked at him as old per se Mm -hmm. but it's like now i'm like wow he is like upper 40s and 50s and i'm in my 30s and i still feel like that 16 year old kid from days you feel the same the same the same but you just have more lived in experiences yeah, that's really dope. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I want to kind of um just just kind of wrap things up. So where mm-hmm. where where are you? Like, how's your business going? Like, um, if people wanted to like reach out to you for coaching, like how would how would sure. people do that? Sure, sure. So I am. I have a website. It's theaRenell.com. Renell's my middle name. So it's T-H-E-A-R-E-N-E-L.com. and I do one-on-one coaching with people. So. Um, 
it's kind of like this conversation, you know, like it's a lot of like asking of questions and letting you work out your thoughts because I don't believe that like as a coach, I can't tell you what to do. That's not going to, just like I said about learning, like you need to be able to process information and change it into a way that you want it to go. So that's kind of like, you know, helping guide the conversation and help you to keep you to help you to learn how to keep yourself accountable to your goals. So that's really coaching in a nutshell. So I do, um, like I said, one-on-one coaching, group classes, um, and um, yeah, that's kind of it right now. I also have my podcast, which is called The Pusher Pivot, and it's very similar to yours, just conversation. Um, and um, yeah. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you Thea, so much for coming. It definitely did feel like a coaching session because I've definitely, <laughs> if, if you can see, I have a page of notes of just things that I didn't even get to because things just transition so organically. And I love that. Um, so I'll definitely be um, in touch with you past this. Um, for those of you who may be listening, um, check the description box for her website and socials. And I'll put all that stuff in the um, description box for you. So people listening can go right to okay. it and maybe book a session with you. Um, and I may be one of those people in the future. Right. I'm looking my business is growing. It's only been, what's today? Friday. We I officially opened on Monday and it's like, Congratulations. You know Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, one of the things that, that, that I'll leave the listeners with is like, you know, when you think about the future, you have to be like, I know they say kind of keep your eyes on the prize and um, keep focused on the bigger picture. But I kind of like I kind of like leaving a little bit of the unknown mm-hmm. because that that's the space where, you know, kind of the creative side and just nature, just natural things would just naturally progress. You know, I think a lot of times when people get laser focused on one thing, they miss other things that can add to the experience of life, you know? So thank you. Thank you so much for joining. Um, Thank you to those of you who are listening. Um, Again, be sure you check the description box for all of the socials or website to connect with her. Um, And like I always say, Um, Until the next diary entry, be blessed and stay safe out there.